Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Every entrepreneur and indeed every attorney, some point in their career will face the conundrum. Should you niche down or should you broaden your practice area? And let's face it, choosing a single focus is a risk. It takes courage to stand out in a crowd and carve your own space out. What if it all goes wrong? Well, today's guest took that risk. Although he didn't know exactly he was choosing his niche, he kind of stumbled across it by accident. In those days, that wouldn't be the type of case a conventional personal injury lawyer would take because no one was dependent on him, he wasn't working, he had no medical bills, and he obviously uh, had a, a, a different sort of life than a healthy male. And so in conventional legal terms, that case didn't have sufficient value. Today, we talk to Illinois leading nursing home and med mal attorney Stephen Levin from Levin and Percanti about what it means to be a trailblazer of an ultra specific type of litigation, how to land marketing messaging when you're expanding and niching down at the same time, and what the secret of a happy marriage really is. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Stryer. Stay with us. Steven's career has been nothing short of pioneering. He's one of the first lawyers in the U.S. to handle nursing home cases and really established his reputation as an authority in the niche. But believe it or not, it wasn't his first choice of a practice area. In fact, before he niched down, Stephen was a criminal defense lawyer representing Chicago defendants facing serious charges. Uh, in the early part of my career, I was doing almost exclusively criminal work. And I loved the trial practice. I loved the work. But to be honest, it sometimes got a little depressing because you are representing criminals, even though you uh, wind up knowing and liking the people that you represented. And I represented a woman where we had a, a particularly had an unfortunate end. Uh, she had been charged with murder. I lost a jury trial, but was able to get it overturned on prosecutorial misconduct. She then pled guilty to a lesser uh, offense and received a five-year sentence. If you looked at her criminal background closely, this might have not been the first time she either injured or hurt someone. Although she was a hardworking, proud woman, she just liked to play craps and had maybe a little bit of a drinking issue. So I went to met her and that had the first result and she wound up with a five-year sentence for voluntary manslaughter and she only served one year of it. And she got out on work release and was living with this nice old guy that for some reason had married her during the first trial. And maybe within an hour, they got into a little argument about the car and apparently she killed him and she called me up and said, 
it was like deja vu. They say I killed my husband. And I didn't even, at that point, even fully recognize that she had been out of jail. And I, I still had an affection for the woman. So we, I, I went to the jail and visited her. And obviously, she now had a very hopeless situation. And the sad part about it is she hung herself in the jail. And it was that and other similar incidences that said it's, it took away the enjoyment of the work. The emotional drain of criminal cases took their toll on Stephen. So he struck out in, in search of a new avenue. In a twist of fate, and as another reminder of why you gotta be there when opportunity knocks, Stephen answered a call one day from a prospective client that would change his career forever. So I, a kindly old uh, a woman uh, contacted me and said her son, who was developmentally disabled and been living in a nursing home for a long period of time, fell down a flight of stairs inside the nursing home and died. And in those days, that wouldn't be the type of case a conventional personal injury lawyer would take because no one was dependent on him. He wasn't working. He had no medical bills. And he obviously had a, a, a different sort of life than a healthy male. And so in conventional legal terms, personal injury terms, that case didn't have sufficient value it might be hard to, to imagine given today's competitive market, but back in 1989, nobody was interested in pursuing nursing home litigation. Attorneys just didn't see the value. Stephen, however, had a hunch that this new niche was ripe for expansion. So we did some research and we discovered a statue on the books in Illinois that had been on the books for maybe 10 years that no one had ever used. And it was called the Nursing Home Care Act. And that was an act that was designed to encourage personal injury lawyers to file lawsuits on behalf of nursing home re residents as an adjunct to, to governmental. It was an enforcement action. In other words, residents, family members could contact the lawyer. The lawyer could take the case. And in addition to the usual recovery that could be obtained, you could get attorney's fees and in those days, triple damages. So what they're really saying is there was a big, big problem in the nursing home industry. Government doesn't have the resources to, to remedy that. We want to get private attorneys involved. Most private attorneys don't want these cases. So we're going to highly incentivize them to take the case. So we filed probably the first case in Illinois under the Nursing Home Care Act for this 50-year-old son of our 70-year-old client. And that's how we got started. The case had a successful outcome, but it was hard to get experts because you would talk to an expert and an expert would say, wow, that's terrible care, but this is a nursing home. What do you expect? So there was no standard of care. There was no expectation that you would receive you know, appropriate supervision and guidance, even though the law that was in Illinois and eventually enacted uh, federally was on the books. Yeah, well, you, you read me, led me right down this path, and it's exactly where I wanted to go, was, you know, you were, you were a pioneer in this field, and in the late 80s, there were hardly any of these cases, and like you said, most personal injury attorneys didn't see the value of these cases, and you found this law, and it allowed you to pursue them, but um, let's talk about 
you know, what are the significant differences between pursuing just a standard personal injury case and, and a case against a long care, uh, long-term care facility? When I went to the first national meeting concerning uh, plaintiff lawyers who handled nursing home cases, I was one of four people. And I'm not even sure if the other people actually had had a case, they just had heard about it. So no one was doing it. So now if you go to that same convention, there'll be thousands of people. There's obviously ads all over the TV and radio for these type of cases has become a huge area of litigation. But when I started, it was zero, nothing, no such cases. So what we began to recognize is number one, what distinguished it is we had, we could like a civil rights statute, or employment discrimination statute. If we won the case, the defendant would have to pay our attorney's fees. The second huge change and we take some credit for this is that we recognize that when you talk about non-economic damages, we're not talking about medical bills. We're not talking about lost wages. We're talking about non-economic damages, pain and suffering, disability and disfigurement. We founded our practice on the belief that jurors will recognize that in an elderly person, no matter how many medical conditions they have, So they will look at the wrong. If they believe a nursing home put profits over people, misallocated resources, didn't have sufficient staffing, and an elderly resident of a nursing home was injured or died, they would compensate that a death or injury with significant money damages. And that was a perception that had to be changed because the defense model is all cases are worth some mathematical formula, X amount of times medical, wage loss, something tangible. What we do in the nursing home area is get people to realize, to recognize what we believe are the true fundamental important things in in life, which is quality of, of life. So it's, you know, it's not that our clients are going to die, it's how they die. And people are entitled to die with dignity, free of injury, free of mistreatment, free of neglect. And that's a concept that now is is widely accepted, but there are still some people who like referring lawyers will say, what we view as a nursing home tragedy, and they'll say to us, do you want this case? I'm not sure there's anything here. I say, no, that's the type of cases we handle. So that's the evolution, but it is a specialty area because it has its own laws it has its own standards of care. It has its own expert witnesses. There's an art to reading a chart. There's an art to finding the people that are really responsible because some of these nursing homes are very good at hiding who really controls the facility. It involves a knowledge of many of the issues that are sort of endemic to the operation of long-term care facilities. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And you mentioned kind of just briefly about, you know, the expert witnesses, how to understand what's going on with these individuals versus a standard case. And I want to talk about kind of how your marketing's impacted. You know, have you found that, because we niche ourselves, have you found that there has ever been confusion from your consumers when you're trying to highlight this sub area of PI, where maybe they think you only do nursing home abuse or neglect cases, 
what are the steps that you do to market this sub niche, but still take on, you know, the PI, the MVA, those bread and butter type cases? That's a great question. And it's a very uh, incisive question because that has been a struggle for the decades that we've been doing this. Uh, so, you know, what you get the typical thing where uh, we've had very good success in medical malpractice cases and birth injury cases, but, you know, a, a consumer will go to a lawyer and they'll say, oh, we're talking to you and we're talking to Levin and Burkani. And they'll say, oh, Levin and Burkani is an unbelievable nursing home lawyer, but we're the guy we have to go to right. for men mail. So we've never, the short answer to your question, I have not found the perfect way to do that. Or even, I'm not even sure the right way. What I did learn, having a niche allows you to really have a targeted, focused marketplace and really become uh, an expert in a certain area. And, you know, through all the typical ways, uh, uh, digital, public relations, now we're doing TV. So being uh, an expert in an area, an actual true expert has been great for marketing. And in fact, our challenge is any sophisticated, fully rational consumer who's looking to hire a nursing home lawyer in Illinois would hire us. We do three times better than anyone else on, on individual cases. But how you communicate that to the consumers who have many different inputs to decide what lawyer to choose is difficult. Now to your question of what do we do about the rest of the area that we're successful in. Currently, we're thinking of it in terms of divisions. We have the nursing home division, we have the medical malpractice division. In the past, we've sort of focused on results. You know, we sort of hoped that everyone knew we were the nursing home experts, but would mix our nursing home case results with our other results so people would think of us in other ways. But I've struggled. I, maybe you have an answer to this. <laughs> well, I, you know, I struggle myself. <laughs> so that's why I was asking you that. To be honest, it was a little self-serving. You know, because your avatar, your potential prospective clients, completely different. You've got an elderly individual versus maybe uh, someone that just got their driver's license that got in a car wreck. You know, I would imagine though, there is certainly a clear benefit from exactly what you said on those peer referrals, because the the attorneys know who can get the maximum value for the cases. I just I think that the challenge would be to the consumer. Right. It's uh, the challenge to the consumer is two parts. The first part is figure out a way in 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes or by articles to really show them you're the best. Mm -hmm. you know, actually convince them of what's true. And then secondly, now try to say that just isn't all that we do. So we recently formed an alliance with a, have a joint venture with a, two of the best birth injury lawyers in the United States. And so now, you know, I, we're covering both ends of the spectrum. But I think in today's world, in the legal field, a lot of the firms have divisions. Right. The big advertising, both, you know, the mass stores, they all have divisions. So I think it's much easier to think about it today as divisions. So I don't think we're struggling as much. But there is always that fear, you know, the more successful we are in nursing homes, 
the less opportunity you have to get involved in the really big medical malpractice or catastrophic personal injury cases because our competitors will use our expertise in nursing home against us. But honestly, as long as I practice and as long as I, I market, I think of new ideas every day. I mean, I, I, you wish you could come up with the perfect plan right in the beginning, but yeah, and I, I would say I would say you're doing something incredibly right. You've you know had results over 600 million. It's just been incredible. So it, it definitely works. And, and I applaud you for choosing a specialization because if you know it's it's this the same old. If your heart was beating and you had a pain and and you thought who would be the best person to solve my heart issue? Would it be the general practitioner or would it be the heart surgeon? Not knowing anything about them, I would choose the heart surgeon all day. And then by the way, I wouldn't ask them how much they cost. <laughs> you know, it'd be worth it because it's value-based like what you said earlier on those value-based fees. Let's talk about mentorship. So I, I read this quote that so your, your sister said in an interview, you know, once that you raised her as a lawyer and have continued to do that with many other of the young lawyers. You know, so how important is mentorship to you and to the success of your firm? I mean, I think it's crucially important. The three things are litigation skills, the ability to rain make, and, and in my belief, education and training of younger lawyers in law and in general. And we're fortunate to have four children and now 15 grandchildren. And I always, uh, in partnership with my wife, actively mentored my kids. I always, you know, we had a rule in our family sort of, okay, we're going to have an argument. You're going to get angry. You're going to close your mind. You're not going to hear what I have to say. So let's slow down for a second. Let's think about what I have to say. You may agree, you may disagree, but you have to respond to what I'm saying. You just can't say nonsense. And maybe I'll convince you. If I don't, you still may have to do it my way, but let's try to go through this exercise. And it sort of became, you know, they talk about a business culture. It sort of became the family culture. That even today, and, and I'm fortunate to have very, very successful kids who are probably more, you know, more, I'm, I may be the poorest male in the family right now, but uh, they still can't, you know, if, no one can make a point that's stupid. No one can say something irrational. It's just not part of what, what we do. It's immediately recognized and belittled or whatever is happening. So I've always enjoyed doing that. And I took the same philosophy to the practice of law. I mean, I, I love working with young or inexperienced, engaged lawyers who I can mentor. And uh, we've had great success. Some of them have outachieved us in, in certain ways. But I spend a huge amount of time working with them, talking with them. I have a younger partner and everyone likes to tell him, oh, you're uh, his clone. And some people would be insecure about that. But. He said, well, maybe I am, he said, but he knows that in certain areas he has exceeded me. And he has the confidence to take everything I have to give him without an ego and then, you know, build on that in his own way. So we recently, we met like this, so people talk about it. So 
we now give these joint talks because it's sort of an easier way to talk when we play off each other and we dress the same as if it was an accident. And we never commented. So, you know, you get all the notes from the people. Are they really uh-huh. dressed? You think that was an accident? But mentorship is in, I have a younger now female partner and the same thing. She's a different personality. I mentor her in different ways. But it is truly uh, what we pride ourselves on as a firm. And what I, it's not work because I love doing it. That's incredible. And, and you know, I kind of as a follow-up there, just specifically, you know, what are some of the things that you do to mentor? Is it, is it shadowing? Is it meeting cadences for like an educational, you know, teaching kind of classroom setting? What does mentorship look like? I think it's fundamentally more informal than teaching, although that's a part of it. I think it's shattering. I always remember the model that they used to use in the talent agency business, where you'd work for like the top agent, like this, you know, Ari Emanuel or someone like that. And uh, uh, the trainee would actually be on the phone for every one of the calls. So number one, that allowed the trainee to act immediately on whatever is happening. But number two, just being around someone. You know, it's like a kid who's like his parents, right? It's because they're around them and they just get certain behaviors by proximity. So I thought that was a great model. It wouldn't exactly work in the, in the legal context, but that's how I, I mentored. So I, I spent time with them both at work and socially. Again, this was it was enjoyable to me to do that. It was stimulating to me. One thing about mentoring is whenever you mentor somebody, you learn something yourself. Just the the dialogue forces you to think. Just like as we're talking now, and I'm thinking, wow, what a great idea. Would you go to a a general general practitioner if you needed heart surgery? Those ideas get generated. So that's one way. And then number two, intense discussion about cases. And for some reason, and there must be a neurocognitive reason that I don't know, it's very hard to think how to handle a case just in your own head. When you talk to someone else and bounce ideas off them, for some reason, a process is created that is deeper, better, more thoughtful, and it generates ideas on both sides of the thing. So we talk about cases in very specific terms. I think what makes really good lawyers from average lawyers is the ability to anticipate what the other side is going to do. We all know what we want to say. You know, we all have our own approach and hopefully we're good at it because that's what we do. And, you know, so I know how to prove my case. What I need to know before the process even starts is what is the other side going to do? What are their arguments going to be? And can we nip them in the bud? Can we reframe the issues sometimes before they even think of them as being issues. So that so that's a large part of mentoring. And that sort of morphs into reframing in general. Good trial lawyers know how to frame and reframe issues. And hopefully we're on the right side. I mean, I can give you a specific example. Uh, we're representing a, a 65-year-old gentleman who's almost 85 or 90-year-old mother is in an assisted living facility. 
During the course of her six-month admission, she gets 18 horrible pressure ulcers or bed sores while in the facility. It was obvious that she was in the wrong facility. It wasn't that she was getting bad care. They just didn't have nurses to turn and reposition to do all the things. So we take the case. So what's the defense going to say? So with the first deposition, the head nurse or whatever they called it, assisted living, says starts to say, well, we talked to your client and we told her this uh, facility wasn't appropriate for his mom, but he insisted on, on uh, staying there, which was a lie. And it wasn't documented anywhere in the charts. You know, the average lawyer would attack on that basis. We train ourselves to hear it differently. So what does that mean? That means the person who made that statement knew her facility was inappropriate. She knew that what was going to happen was going to happen. So we got it down. I got through my questioning, you know, so every minute of every hour of every day of every week, your resident was deteriorating and you knew you couldn't treat it. And you just saw it happen. From And now if it was this bad, I'm sure you told everyone in the facility. So there wasn't a single person in the facility who didn't know that she was not appropriate for for your place and she was suffering on a daily basis. So, of course, by the time I get through with this, she says, well, maybe the son didn't say that to me. Maybe he said that to me at the end. But it's how you hear the issue. Like they say, bed alarms don't prevent falls. That's what nursing homes say. You could argue with that. I say they don't prevent falls. I could put a bed alarm on you and you could fall, right? People responding to bed alarms prevent falls. So all issues need to be framed in a way that that's really true and that will resonate with a jury. And it seems like a simple process, but I'm sure in your business, it's the same thing. How you frame things sometimes is so difficult to come to when you finally understand, when you finally got it where you want it, where you understand it, you realize how, why did it take me, you know, hundred hours of conversation to get there. It's that Bloom's taxonomy, right? It's the, you know, at the bottom, you got, you can read something, you got some recall, you kind of go up the triangle and you can analyze. And at the very top, what you're talking about is you can kind of see and, and do those advanced retrospectives and in, in a different manner and kind of interpret what they're saying differently. And that's, and that's a skill that you acquire from your expertise. I imagine that if, your first nursing home abuse case, you probably would have took just the direct track. And what's scary is when you think of your life, let's say in five-year segments, and you think you knew a lot when you get to be my age 20 years ago, and now you know so much different. You wonder how you got by with what you knew 20 years ago or 15 years ago. So it's a fascinating process. Absolutely. So let's switch over to to a, a personal question. So you know, I was doing some research and I believe you married your childhood sweetheart whom you met when you were 11. You know, so this is another self-serving question here, being married. So what's your secret to a long-lasting marriage? I think it's having the same goals. I mean, there's love and, and all that other stuff, but it's having the same goals. And we're, we have the same goals of the importance of family and raising a family and raising grandchildren. So our strongest bond is through that family, and and we're very blessed to have the family that we do have. And that is the number one most important thing in our life, 
there's nothing more important than family unity. So nothing trumps that. And, and I think that's a, a, a huge part of the uh, longevity of our, our marriage. I love that. I love that. It's truly inspirational to hear from someone like Stephen, who's found his niche and pursued it wholeheartedly. You hear all the time that niching down is the secret to success. And that's certainly true in Stephen's case, but it's not the whole picture. Stephen had a passion for pursuing nursing home litigation when nobody else would give it a second thought. And as a result, he not only opened up a new industry, but brought relief to those individuals and families in need. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Dreyer. A huge thanks to Stephen Levin for joining us today. And you can find more info, as always, in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. How are you tackling the challenge of being an expert in a niche and expanding your practice? Drop us a review and let us know. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.